0: When animals are threatened with danger, the limbic system plays a vital role in keeping us alive. When the limbic system is impaired, a cascade of problems can arise, leading to symptoms that can manifest as chronic illness. So how would one go about healing? I have found an amazing expert to answer our questions. I love people with curious minds, and Annie Hopper is most definitely one of them. Her determination led to the creation of the Dynamic Neural Retraining System, or DNRS. She's also the author of Wired for Healing, Remapping the Brain to Recover from Chronic and Mysterious Illnesses. We're delighted to speak with Annie and find out more about limbic system impairment and retraining the brain.
1: Welcome, Annie, to our podcast. Oh, thank you, Sarah, for having me. I'm so happy to be here.
0: How did you become involved in your work of retraining the brain?
1: Well, that's a really great question. And uh, really, my entry way into the world of brain retraining and neuroplasticity was through my own suffering. Uh, It began in, I guess my journey began in 2004. And at the time, I was a core belief counselor and journalist in Kelowna, B.C., and my life is absolutely thriving. Uh, but looking back at it, I can see that I experienced what I call the perfect storm for developing limbic system impairment. And what I mean by that was, you know, very various different toxic traumas that might affect brain function. So one of those was I had exp- uh, exposure to various toxins. So uh, when I moved to Kelowna, there was a big wildfire. I don't know if you remember that, mm-hmm. but. Uh, huge wildfire. So there was a dark black smoke, wildfire smoke in the air for a few weeks. So that was definitely part of the exposure piece. But I also worked in an office um, that was a very old building. And unfortunately, that building had mold in it. And also, Um, what they didn't tell me when I rented the office is that my office was located right next to the janitor supply room. And I actually shared a wall with the janitor supply room and I didn't have proper ventilation in that office. So I had a, you know, a lot of um, exposures at once. So the, Mm -hmm. the smoke, the mold, the um, uh, chemicals, the industrial chemical cleaners from the uh, janitor supply room, supply room, sorry. And also, you know, what I, when I opened my office, I painted it and put in new furniture oh, and I yeah. had no idea, yeah. <laughs> like everybody does, right? And uh-huh. you know, I'm totally being exposed to all these VOCs that are off-gassing from new products and new materials. So I yeah, I had I was working in that office for about five months and uh, over that time I started to get symptoms. But I'll go back to the perfect storm again for a second. So sure prior to um, actually renting that office space about six months earlier, I was in a car accident and it wasn't that the impact of the car accident was that um, great, but it left me with cervical whiplash and a neurological shake in my neck that almost uh, mimicked Parkinson's. And uh, it was really uh, strange. And I went to all kinds of specialists and they, they couldn't figure it out Um, also. So, you know, you looking back at that, so you have toxic exposure from smoke, mold, chemicals, VOCs, plus a physical injury in my neck. And also, if I look back even further than that, um, I had a history of trauma growing up in childhood with an alcoholic father. So I think the protective circuits in my brain were firing just a little bit more rapidly than the average child, because, you know, I felt unsafe a lot of the time. So I think it was that combination of traumas that actually led to limbic system impairment. So, you know, when I was looking at uh, when looking at the symptoms that I was having at the time, first of all, it started as chronic joint and muscle pain. Um, eventually, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, but of course, the diagnosis didn't help me any. Um, it was just a label to put on, you know, exactly. the symptoms. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, as I'm sure a lot of your listeners will, yeah, I think to.
0: I think a lot of our listeners are probably relating to you many components of your story.
1: Oh, good, good. Um, the other symptoms that I had I had constant muscle twitching, constant headaches that just would not go away. I was suffering from insomnia, um, anxiety, and then I started to develop this sensitivity to chemicals. And it didn't really dawn on me at the time that my sense of smell was changing. Uh, my favorite saying used to be that stinks. Can't you smell that? <laughs> I was like, Oh my goodness. And it, it, things that I used to enjoy, like perfume or, um, you know, bubble bath or any kind of things, scented products were suddenly smelling like toxic bug spray. And it literally felt like I was being poisoned by, by my environment. And um, that started to get worse and worse. And the only thing that I could do at the time was really um, isolate myself as much as I could from having the exposures. And of course, that led to a lot of avoidance behaviors because I was really just trying to protect my health. Now, as you can imagine, along the way, I saw endless health practitioners. I mean, all really well-intended people who were trying to help me. Right, and I saw lots of doctors and healthcare providers and people in mainstream medicine, alternative medicine, and beyond. And believe me when I tell you, I was an obedient patient. You know, at the time, <laughs> the th- <laughs> at the time, the theory was uh, toxic. Um, what was it? Heavy heavy metal toxicity, right? Mm-hmm. And the recommendation was to detox. Well, I detoxed to Mars and back and it didn't help. Right. And no matter, no matter who I went to see, you know, I did the treatments religiously and regardless of what it was, whether it was changes in diet or changes in, um, you know, chelation or uh, detoxification or supplements or what have you, or you know, uh, psychology work and uh counseling work and whatever it is, you know, up the woohoo, I tried it and uh, to Mars and back. And although something seemed to help temporarily, I would always slingshot back into a cycle of chronic illness. And I was baffled. I was like, oh, my goodness, the best specialist in the world that mm-hmm. I know of can't, are obviously not figuring this out. And
0: what are and they missing?
1: <laughs> yeah. What are, yeah, there is something missing. And unfortunately, um, you know, as my symptoms got worse, and not only would I slingshot back into a cycle of chronic illness, but the symptoms were actually getting worse. So at one point, so at this point, I've got fibromyalgia, chemical sensitivities, anxiety, depression. And you know, the anxiety and depression, I don't think were there to begin with. I think it was a just a um, what's the word a side effect of living your life that way and uh-huh. of course you know when you're in chronic illness for that long it's going to change the brain function and you're going to see anxiety and depression come up as well but anyway back to that I back to getting worse so um, what happened is uh, eventually uh, I developed electric hypersensitivity syndrome which I didn't even know existed. So what that meant was I started to become sensitive to electromagnetic fields that are found in things like cell phones and wireless and your computer and your electrical appliances. And it was, I could only describe it as living a science fiction nightmare. That's really the only way to describe it. Um, I could no longer just be in my own home because everything around me, I was starting to react to EMFs the same way as I was reacting to minute amounts of chemicals. So it became literally impossible for me to live in my own home. And that's when things really started to get scary because I became homeless and not for lack of money, but because my nervous system was so uh, sensitized that I could no longer live in my home. So I started to camp and uh, lived in a broken down houseboat for a while. But even prior to um moving into well moving into the great outdoors camping and living in the houseboat i knew that there was something wrong with the way that my brain was processing information and that's really where where this whole thing started was again my personal suffering suffering was the catalyst for finding a solution so that was the long answer to the question.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, but I mean, and then also you followed your intuition and you knew something wasn't right and you were curious and you kind of honed in that maybe it was related to something happening in your brain. So who were some of the scientists and doctors that inspired you as you started doing research on, you know, on the brain?
1: Yeah, thank you. Another really great question. Um, First of all, I knew that there was an overlap between many different conditions, many, many chronic and complex health conditions, because, you know, even within the uh, chemical sensitivity population, it was very rare for a person just to have chemical sensitivities, right? They would have chemical sensitivities and chronic pain issues and digestive issues and chronic fatigue syndrome and, 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 and possibly, you know, chronic Lyme disease as well. So I started looking at um, brain research that really uh, was a key for me in recognizing that the common denominator for a lot of these chronic illnesses was overactivation of certain areas of the brain that were located in the limbic system. It also made sense to me that my brain was involved because I just knew that I wasn't processing sensory information anymore. I was like, why is it that somebody else can walk down the grocery right. aisle of a store and, um, you know, walk down the grocery aisle where they're, uh, you know, the laundry detergent aisle and be perfectly okay. And if I did that, I might go into central nervous system convulsions. I'm like, obviously there's something wrong with the way that my brain is processing. Excuse me. (laughs) So again, I found a lot of research that, Um, pointed to the limbic system being a portion of that. And also it just made sense to me to uh, start researching limbic system function because the limbic system is the area for sense of smell where sense of smell is processed in the brain. So logically, it just made sense to me to start looking at the limbic system. But I think a really big catalyst for understanding and exploring neuroplasticity, neuroplasticity is a potential cause and Mm -hmm. solution for... uh, the chronic illnesses that I was dealing with was through reading the book, The Brain That Changes Itself by Dr. Norman Doidge. Right. And yeah, I mean, amazing book. And when I understood that my brain was not fixed and that I had agency to actually change the structure and function of my brain, it was such an aha moment. And I really looked at exploring the neuroplasticians who are featured in the brain that changes itself. And this gave me great insight into what was happening in my own brain, and how I could possibly go about making changes. So um, some of the scientists that were featured in there, my goodness, it's been so long, I can't remember all of them. But, um, you know, one of them was Dr. R.S. Ramachandran. And he was working with how imagination could uh, change brain function in his work with phantom limb pain. And then there was Dr. Pascal Leone, who was exploring how the power of thought and how thinking alone can change the structure of the brain. Or um, I think there was another one about constraint-induced therapy, which is a form of rehabilitation for stroke stroke patients where specific repetitive exercises helps the brain to form new neural pathways. Um, I think Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz was also featured in that. And uh, Jeffrey Schwartz would work with patients who are suffering from OCD. And he connected how brain functions and symptoms of illness. And um, through awareness and distraction, he was able to help patients decrease symptoms. So really, I combined a lot of information that I was already working with um, or skill sets that I already had through working as a core belief counselor, where I really looked at patterns of thinking, feeling and behaviors that were leading to certain outcomes and really and uh, incorporating some NLP techniques and the the theories that were um, explored in the brain that changes itself and applied that to myself. And the entire story of how I came up with the program and I developed the program and the science behind the program, of course, is detailed in my book um, that you already mentioned that I published in 2014 called uh, Hardwired for Healing, Remapping the Brain to Recover from Chronic and Mysterious Illnesses. So really, I think uh, one of the, again, coming back to the question, one of the bigger influences was Dr. Norman Doidge.
0: Absolutely. And so what kind of symptoms might indicate that a person has limbic system impairment? I know it probably is all over the place, but um, what are some of the symptoms that you've heard people talk about?
1: Well, uh, the symptoms can vary from person to person, and I'm sure that's the case with uh, a lot of your listeners. Um, But Really, it can, and they can express seemingly unrelated symptoms, like unrelated physical symptoms, or even emotional symptoms or psychological symptoms. Mm -hmm. But what people might notice are changes in autonomic nervous system function. So the automatic functions of your body, such as heart rate. So they might have tachycardia or breathing uh, issues or digestion issues. Um, Some people might feel fatigued, or they might be more um, sensitive to various different sorts of stimuli, like uh, they could be sensitive to chemicals like I was, or sensitive to light, or sounds, or touch, or food. Um, Symptoms can also include brain fog, headaches, chronic pain, chronic inflammation, immune system uh, conditions are common as well irritability, um, anxiety, depression, and a lot more. I think if people are interested to see if they might be, uh, experiencing symptoms of limbic system impairment, I would suggest that they look at a self-assessment survey that is on the homepage of our website and it's a 20 question survey that they can actually go through and it might, it might help them. Yeah, that's
0: great. We'll post that link in our show notes for sure. Yeah, and, I mean, I I've really I've been doing the program, and um, I just really love hearing the testimonials from participants in the program. Can you paint a picture for our listeners just a little bit about what the practice might be like? I I did my practice this morning at the beach.
1: <laughs> right, right. Well, it's interesting. I mean, uh, it's really an interesting question, one that's hard to answer because uh-huh. I, it's I going to look different. <laughs> it's going to look different for different people, but. Yeah. I think when we talk about the practice, I would like to really elaborate on what the practice means. And I think it's really important for people to recognize that there are many different elements to the program because um, a lot of times people uh, might think that the the practice involves just one of the pillars of the program, which is doing uh, the DNRS retraining steps, but it actually includes five pillars of recovery. And we want to make sure that people are really looking at how they're implementing all five pillars of recovery on a daily basis. So I think I'd like to take a moment just to talk about the pillars of recovery so that that can paint like a bigger picture of what's involved. So the first pillar of recovery is to really recognize the link between your brain and your condition. And we really go into that quite a bit in the um, instructional video program about the link between your brain and your condition and really, you know, getting to the meat of the matter is uh, in terms of limbic system impairment and how that might be contributing to the symptoms that you're having. In Pillar 2, we learn to recognize old neural pathways that keep us in a state of survival and learn to shift our thoughts, emotions, and behaviors to create new neural pathways. In Pillar 3, which some people refer to as a practice, is that's really about learning the DNRS retraining steps that involve a step-by-step exercise That includes speech movement and visualization techniques. And the intention of this step is to really decrease firing of threat centers in Mm -hmm. the brain and change the brain chemistry from hormones that are associated with the stress response to hormones and neurotransmitters, neurotransmitters that are associated with the state of growth and repair. And, um, the fourth pillar is something that we call incremental training And this is really um, a desensitization technique where you challenge yourself in small increments to change the brain's patterned threat reaction to specific stimuli. Um, And in pillar five, we learn the importance of elevating your emotional state. And this really helps to send a cue of safety to the brain and helps regulate the autonomic nervous system. So again, it's quite... um, It's quite complex and it's going to look different for different people. And again, I would suggest that if people are curious about, well, A, I would suggest that people do the program, but if they would like to um, have help in understanding the program or um, community support and how different people are applying the program, we have uh, one of these ongoing support service offerings that we have is called Living DNRS, and that's where a group of peers will get together, and they're um, it's, they're uh, guided by one of our instructors, and really examine how to apply the five pillars in their life, and and also you get amazing ideas from other people about how they're applying all five pillars into their life as well. That's
0: great. Yeah, I love hearing some of the terminology you just brought up. And I am the kind of geek that loves to understand everything. But I think for me, sometimes that gets in my way, um, because I feel like I have to understand everything for it to happen. And the reality is, it just works. And so you don't always (laughs) need to know, right? But I think as people with chronic illness, we've been seeking for so long answers that sometimes we get stuck in that. And it was actually a Thai massage therapist who said to me, you know, Sarah, people in Thailand don't know the names of any of the muscles. They just know how to heal the muscles. And I thought, oh, that's a really good point. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when things work, they just work. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is so true. And, and sometimes so- needing to know everything can also get in our way. It can create another barrier.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes simple things really work. And it's not that the, you know, I always say that uh, the brain is a pattern recognition organ, right? Mm-hmm. So if we look at it in that way, it actually makes things make a lot of sense. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: when you recognize that the brain has just been stuck in this fight, flight, or freeze response to no fault of your own, it's not your fault. And, uh, you know, um, it's not your fault, period, right? It's just not your fault. Your brain got your brain gets stuck in a trauma response. So, you know, the focus becomes how do we get the brain out of a trauma response, whether the rather than trying to figure out everything behind that or how it works. It's like just how do we get the brain out of a trauma response? How do how do we create that condition for the brain to actually shift gears? Mm -hmm. And um, it's as simple as that, really.
0: Right. Have Mm -hmm. participants with Lyme disease experienced a reduction in symptoms? I I know I have.
1: (laughs) Yeah. In fact, you know, I would say, I would hazard to say that there are thousands of people that have with Lyme, uh, chronic Lyme disease that have experienced great reduction in symptoms. And I think that if people, two of my favorite stories, of course, are are two of our certified DNRS coaches, uh, Riley and Anissia, And uh, their stories are their success stories are on our website. So if people want to look at more success stories or Riley and Anicia's success stories are on our website under success stories. But um, yeah, I would say thousands of people, because again, um, like I said, it's rare that people just have chronic Lyme disease. I mean, you might be diagnosed with chronic Lyme disease, but really look at, I would say, look at the symptoms that are common in a lot of other people that are suffering from limbic system impairment. And um, they'll be pleasant, well, maybe pleasantly surprised or maybe not, just not feel so alone and uh, recognize that there is, there are other options available for addressing the brain portion of what's happening in chronic Lyme disease.
0: And then is retraining the brain helpful for people with symptoms of long COVID?
1: Yes. And, uh, you know, I was sitting back just kind of watching this whole COVID pandemic uh, roll out. Mm -hmm. And uh, I knew when I started to hear patients were suffering from symptoms of long COVID, I thought, oh, the limbic system is definitely involved. So, you know, over time, we started seeing people apply the program for symptoms of long COVID. And again, many, 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 many people have applied the program for long COVID and are experiencing great results. Um, One person that comes to mind specifically, Sandra, she was a doctor um, who lives in Sweden, I think, yeah. And uh, uh, Sandra was one of the first patients uh, that was actually admitted into the long COVID clinic in Sweden. And, um, she was suffering severe cognitive decline so much so that she forgot how to write. She didn't know what letters meant anymore. She wow. had postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, mass cell activation syndrome. She had headaches, vision issues, gut issues, brain fog. Uh, she was experiencing fatigue and weight, uh, and weakness. She was actually confined to a wheelchair most of the time and could barely move. Um, she had sensitivities to light sound and severe chemical sensitivities eventually, um, she also had numbness in her hands and face and uh, had suffered from insomnia and had blood pressure issues. And she fully recovered within a few months of implementing oh, DNRS. That's
0: yeah. Amazing. And
1: uh, <laughs> as she's back at work leading a full life and she's healthy and wow. so pleased because now she can take care of herself and her daughter, her young daughter. So yeah, wow. it's quite amazing. So again, there are um, success stories of people that have uh, recovered from long COVID on our website. Uh, but also, there are a number of people, we have an online um, forum called our Global Community Forum, which is a members only, professionally moderated forum. And uh, there are many people on the forum who are also recovering from some symptoms of long COVID. And for some people, COVID is the, the um the tip of the iceberg, or it's just one of the contributing factors of limbic system impairment. And uh, it could have been the virus that threw the limbic system into this fight, fight or freeze response, or it could have been an accumulation of other things that were happening. But Either way, um, yes, we've had great results with people with long COVID.
0: Right. And even just that
1: constant state of fear was really disabling for most people. (laughs) Yes, yes. And it's not just, I mean, whether you've had the infection or not. Uh At this point, yeah, living in fear for two years uh, definitely has an effect on brain function. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: And so is there any new research that you're excited about that you're following right now or that you're involved in?
1: Yeah, um, actually, the research is around long COVID. So uh, we have two research um, research studies happening right now. So researchers from the Karolinska Institute in Sweden are conducting a retrospective study on the effectiveness of DNRS on patients with severe symptoms of long COVID and postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Uh, the study has not been published, but early findings are suggesting really great results And the University of Alberta in Canada has applied for funding to conduct a clinical trial on the DNRS program to measure improvements in health-related quality of life in people with long COVID and chronic fatigue. Uh, We are very hopeful that both of these studies will move forward in good time, of course, because we know that there are millions of people who are Needlessly suffering and mm-hmm. are looking for effective treatments. So we're really hoping that that moves forward in oh, a timely Oh, that's exciting!
0: Fashion. Wow. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye mm. on that on your website too. Well, you Thank know, you. So, so many people with chronic illness they spend months and years trying to find answers. But you, Annie, like you just took it to the next level with your research, and I'm so thankful you did because so many people are benefiting from the results of your research and the program that you put together. And I'm just so inspired by your curiosity and your leadership in this field. And I really think everyone can benefit from limbic system retraining. So thank you for coming on our podcast and sharing your
1: expertise with all of us. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me, Sarah. And I really hope that this is helpful for people that are listening. And um, yeah, just know that there is hope and you're not alone. So thank you so much for having me, Sarah.
0: Wow, that is remarkable to think of the brain as a pattern recognition organ. We can train our brains to decrease the firing of threat centers, and that changes hormones and neurotransmitters that lead to growth and repair. Take back the calm in your life. Thank you for listening. Stay safe in the outdoors.